How are we going to say goodbye to 2020? Well, we're going to do it with something that plucked my little heartstrings since I was about 16 years old, working as a young mechanic on what we would call today the Road to Indy. This episode, last one of the year, it's all about Cooper Tires and their hashtag program. Dan Anderson, Michelle Kish, the good folks who put on the formal ladder system feeding all next generation talent to the NTT IndyCar series. Well, ran a promotion throughout the year and winners, those who are jumping onto social media, doing all kinds of good stuff to not only activate for all the brands and series and everything that I mentioned, but also to elevate themselves and have a little bit of fun, draw some folks in to USF 2000, Indy Pro 2000, and the soon to be returning Indy Light series. Well, they were given the award of jumping on the podcast here. So unfortunately, their efforts somewhat wasted because this is a bit of a crap prize if you ask me. But nonetheless, we have two fine folks to close out the year. I think this is our second, maybe our third, uh, Cooper Tires Road to Indy hashtag podcast. And we have, well, we've got a next generation talent in Josh Green, USF 2000 kid, Cape Motorsports, very very unique child from New York and his heroes and his inspirations, as you will learn a little bit different, a little bit different, which I greatly appreciate. Also, we have the man, kind of the creepy uncle. I don't know if creepy is the word, but definitely uh, last guy at the club and maybe kind of the old guy at the club too, that all the younger kids are looking at going, uh, what are you doing here, pal? That would be uh, Brendan Peterbaugh, the man behind the man behind and in front. I'm not sure where he sits to the side under uh, under a tent. I don't know where, but the man who looks after fat boy racing, we had his, his fine driver, Mr. Charles Finelli on, I think on the last episode. So we have the, well, we got this guy, pewter I tell you what, he's a piece of work. I'll let you define whether that's good work or bad work, but kidding aside, he's a hoot. He's one of the great, great characters of the road to Indy. Greatly, greatly thankful to have him on. But we're going to open up with Josh. Why? Eh, Brandon's not going anywhere. I mean, let's be honest. You know, he's kind of reached his peak. It's a low peak. It's a molehill. And he might have stumbled over it. But Josh, this kid's going places. So let's kick this off. The final podcast of the year brought to you by, funnily enough, Cooper Tires. Also, our dear friends, the Justice Brothers, and the wacky Canadians at torontomotorsports.com. Let's get rolling, Josh Green, and then, with no real introduction beforehand, just fire right into it, Brendan Peterbaugh. Josh Green, we are doing this beautiful Cooper Tires hashtag winner interview. You have sequestered yourself getting ready for this weekend's St. Petersburg rounds for the road to Indy there. And where do we have you? Do we have you in a broadcast studio speaking from high atop a uh, beautiful high rise now you're in the bathroom because that's where yep. the best sound quality is found so i appreciate your efforts to give us the best quality here let's start with just talking about your year right uh you are one of the two of the top rookies in the usf 2000 championship yourself christian brooks seems like it's been a good year for you but i'd love to get your thoughts on how this campaign has gone for you it's been a great first season and not i mean the season started off basically as good as it could have with two podiums or america sure. and we've continued just to learn every single weekend um you just keep learning more and more with cape about setup and about how to drive the car better and and continue to gain more and more information so um it's been a super productive season and obviously like you're always hunting for more results and we've, we've had our sort of fair share of adversity throughout the season, but it's not without learning and taking as much away from it as you can. So, um, it's been a super positive experience and I really look forward to sort of taking the information I've learned and, and whatever I'll learn from this round and take it in, into next year. So on the highly depressing front, you were born the year after I retired from working, uh, in IndyCar, uh, with IndyCar teams and such. So first of all, I hate you for that, but, uh, <laughs> As a young pup who is trying to become a future IndyCar star champion and all those things, we know that there's an established ladder. 
This road to Indy with USF 2000 obviously is the first step of that ladder. Despite your youth, you seem to have a really good grasp, Josh, for knowing that this formative step on the road to Indy, this first year of yours in particular, it's going to be filled with lessons, both good and bad. It's going to be filled with things where you're at mental highs and mental lows. Share with us your overall approach to this debut season, because there are some drivers your age who, if things aren't going exactly to plan, are really upset and get thrown off their game. But you seem to have maybe a, a view of this as part of a bigger picture that we don't often see. Um, so my attempt with every with sort of every race weekend, my mindset going into it is always, um, no matter what, I'm going to do my best. And whatever that ends up being per weekend is sort of what it is. And whenever whenever we struggle with adversity, we struggle with an issue. It's it's always there's always a lesson behind it. So and you're never going to learn anything if you come to a weekend. You're like, okay, cool, I'm going to win every race, and then you don't, and you just get annoyed at yourself because you're not going to get anything out of that. So. Um, yeah, um, I go into every weekend just sort of like with with the mindset of I'm going to go out there, I'm going to do my best, and I'm going to extract as much out of myself that I can, and and work with the team and do as best as we can. And the Capes were were really good at instilling that in you early about um, trying to go out and and if we have a fifth place car and you go out there and you finish fourth, that's like a win to us, and that you're never going to win a championship by making big dive bombs and and always trying to win races because obviously the goal is always to win races, but if you're running in fifth and it takes a massive dive bomb to get into the lead and you go and crash out, you're never going to win a championship that way. So, I mean, I came into the season obviously with like high hopes and all of that. And, um, and like you're running with Cape and you have that huge sort of like legendary, uh, thing behind you. But the goal is, is always just to do your best. And the Capes have been really good at helping us do so. So, yeah, I mean, it's how more than half of racing is, is a mindset game and it's about going out and, and trying to be in the right headspace because I definitely struggled with that a lot in karting and I eventually got, got past it. And when we got into cars, it's been a huge asset to me to be able to sort of keep a cool head throughout each race weekend because we've definitely struggled with a lot of adversity. Um, and I think it's been really positive that we can come away from every, every issue, whether it's mechanical or whether it's my fault and, and come out with some sort of lessons something to learn. So the next time we get in the car, we always know we're doing better. Mention this variety of episodes in the past. The Cape team in particular is known at the USF 2000 level back in the day, Formula Ford 2000 level. They've been around forever, but they're infamous for their I guess, quality, the alumni that have come through their team, the, the teaching aspect to what you get there. Were these things all items that you knew, your father knew when you were scouting, where should we go coming out of carts? Or did you guys get really lucky to land with this professorial type uh, junior open wheel team? I think um, Jeremy Shaw had a huge help in that with the Team USA scholarship. And there is sort of that long line of, of Team USA scholars who win the scholarship, come back to the U.S. and they hop in a Cape car and they go out and win USF. Um, and... I mean, that obviously was not lost on me and, and you're always doing your research no matter what. And if you're not in racing, it's not going to go well. So you have to always be doing your research with teams and testing and getting out there. And, and I had a really good, really positive test with Kate prior to the season. So it, it seemed like a good fit and we sort of just like took it from there. Um, but I mean, if I were to give advice to other drivers, it would just be before you go out and do it, make sure you test as many teams as you can, because despite pedigree or any of that sort of stuff, you can go out and hop in a car. And if you're around people you trust and people you can work with, you can go in races no matter what. That's a great point. You might be with a championship winning team, but if there's not a good personality fit, if there's just not the right connection there, uh, you don't often see championships produced in that relationship. Looking at something that you mentioned Jeremy Shaw, who I have long referred to as the patron saint of uh, American uh, junior open wheel racing, someone who was instrumental in your career development as well. Tell me about him, Team USA Scholarship, and not just what that has meant, but also there's a bit of a badge of honor there too, right? <laughs> you look at the people that yeah. have gone through that and go, holy crap, uh, I got something to live up to here. For sure. Um, 
And so, yeah, the scholarship in the first race is obviously just an amazing experience. And it really sucks this year that, that they didn't get to do the shootout because the shootout's pretty huge because it's really the first place that, like, a lot of drivers will show up to the track, like, 100% individual on their own. And, like, they're there to do a job. And it's a really cool experience to meet all these like-minded drivers who are in the same spot as you, mostly in the same point of the career as you, and all sort of want to, like, we all have the same goal. And in my case, when we were there, like, we were all working together to be quicker in the Lucas cars, whereas, like, it may be perceived from the outside that, like, we're all going to be butting heads and competitive. Like, obviously, we're all competitive, but whenever we come in, we'd share notes and try and all get quicker in the car, which is a really cool experience. And, and you meet a lot of very cool people at the shootout, like, all the judges are always really, really exceptional people in the racing world. So that was a super fun experience. And obviously going to England and getting to go to Italy and, and meeting just a list of very amazing people from the head of motorsport at Lamborghini to Mr. Dallara himself. Um, it's an amazing experience. And, and like, it's well known, Jeremy. I mean, I wouldn't disagree with your statement about Jeremy because he, Mr. Shaw has done a huge amount for my career and many others before that. So it's, it's a big experience and it's super important. And I wish Bryce and Jackson Lee the best of luck over there this year. Um, and when it comes to a badge of honor, it's just like, I take it more as, as less of like looking up to these guys. I mean, obviously I'm looking up to these guys, but not like you can't compare yourself to them because every single year the racing world is different. Like it's never the same. The atmosphere is always different. The, the competition is always different. And, and like, again, the whole, like you just have to go out and do your best thing. Like I'm going to take, as much as I can from them and as much information as I can get from them from being able to speak to them in the past and stuff. And like when I first got to team USA, you're going to be in contact with them. Um, and besides that, I'm just going to sort of like go out and I'm going to do my best to be as good as I can and, and represent team USA as well as I can, as well as um, a big part of team USA is helping the young drivers, the new drivers that are getting picked or are sort of like in the roster or being looked at being picked. You get to sort of be that, that, I don't know, that like, I forgot what the word is. Um, sexy but way, you young American? Like, kind of. Yeah, but we'll go sexy young American. I was looking at, I was thinking more of like, you get to be sort of that sense of wisdom of like, this is this is what the experience is like. And like, these are the things that you need to really look out for and try and get from it. Yeah. So it's a lot of fun for me, like going back to the, the old kart tracks and stuff. I'm getting to go help a bunch of kids because i remember when i was young and and for well, i mean I, I started pretty late but when, when you were young you're so funny go ahead teenager guy <laughs> but when i was when i was like first starting karting funnily enough michael dearlando and his brother nick dearlando um in my first week ever of indoor karting they both showed up um at this little indoor go-kart track called grand prix new york and i was this little kid this little 14 year old 14 year old doing um indoor karting for a summer camp for no apparent reason, just because, and they show up like fully suited and booted with their names on their suits and everything. And, 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 and I think at that point it was an Adidas sponsor with news 12. And I mean, obviously just showed up and absolutely destroyed all of us, but I like idolized them from the beginning of my career all the way up until I was racing Nick and carts. And now I'm Michael Orlando's teammate, which is quite cool. Wow. So there are a couple other fun things that stand out here. I think folks would love to know a little bit about. First of all, you're tall and you're young, which makes me think you are going to continue to get taller. <laughs> Tell us about having to wedge yourself at what six foot ish or so um, into a USF 2000 car. We know that when you hopefully get to IndyCar, they intentionally size the cockpits to fit everyone from a uh, Graham Ray Hall at about 6'3-ish uh, down to a Takuma Sato at 2'4". But coming up the road to Indy, uh, these cars aren't necessarily built for those, you know, for the, the stretch-type drivers. Is that a thing right now for you? Do you foresee it being a thing? Honestly, it hasn't been much of a struggle this year. Um, we did a really good job making the seat, so, like right from the get-go it was just sort of a very comfortable environment and um i don't know if it's like widely talked about but the pedal system in these cars is really fun to work with having to reset the throttle position sensor every single time you change the pedals so <laughs> it's not something that everyone likes to do very often and when you do do it it's always a very egregious process so um we did it a couple times at the beginning of the season and then like once you get it close enough you just sort of live with it but 
honestly, when I was running 1600, the MyGales are impossible to fit in. Because, like, I remember my first test weekend ever, like, just driving the car because I was using someone else's seat. Um, and, like, my arm from my wrist all the way up to my shoulder was just one big bruise because I was just banging across <laughs> the frame rails. <laughs> Those cars uh, are tiny. Yes, yes. Well, you know, here we go. Um, so other things that just stand out to me that I don't know if they're amusing or awesome. They could be both. So my father, Josh, who was born in 1940 and who got to see Jim Clark race on a handful of occasions here in the U.S., that was his favorite driver. And growing up in the 1970s, he would regale me with stories about Clark and how much he loved the guy. I thought he was the greatest natural talent ever, et cetera, et cetera. You're a Jim Clark fan. And this is something that I just find fascinating. Uh, if you haven't had long discussions with three-time Indy, no, four-time IndyCar champion, three-time Indy 500 winner, Dario Franchitti, you must. Uh, tell us about Jim Clark. Because again, man, if we're talking things that don't fit, but I love this. Uh, you're not saying Michael Schumacher, Fernando Alonso, whomever else it might have been champions as you were growing up following the sport. You're going back, way back in time. How did you come to learn about him and what stood out about Jim Clark? So I came to learn about him from watching old uh, touring car races when he was racing the Lotus Ford Cortina because when I was a little kid, obviously, when you're little, you're just looking for stuff that stands out. And those cars were always three-wheeling all around the track, picking up the inside front, um, which was really interesting to watch. And then, like, he was winning everything, like, everything, everything. And, and like, it was a very different time, obviously. But, I mean, he took one Lotus and won, I think, three championships with the same car. And they just never changed it in between each season, which is amazing in its own right. But besides that... Um, he won both the Formula One World Championship, the F3 World Championship, and the British Touring Car Championship in one season, which is unheard of. And I've sort of like so Jeff Bouchard, who is um, who is the team owner, coach, engineer, all of it at Team Palfrey, and I was running 1600, had a whole bunch of stories. I don't know if they're from, I mean, obviously they're going to be from from just like other people, and he has a list of stories just because he's met so many different people, and and um, Tony or we call him TVD. He's my mechanic this year. And I, I spent a lot of time with him on Palfrey last year when I was driver coaching. Um, he had a whole ton of stories because he, he was working in Formula One in the paddock back then. And it's just like, besides being obviously an extreme natural talent, Jim had, or Mr. Clark, can't call him that, had <laughs> had like an amazing feel for what the car was doing mechanically. Like there was always that story of when he died, like he almost knew it. And he was telling people like, I'm going to die when I go out in this car right now. And everyone was like, just don't do it. And he's like, no, I have to. And like that story has been told to me a whole bunch of times, a whole, di a whole list of different ways. But like he just always had this ideal of like knowing everything about the car, everything that was wrong with it. And like that's amazing to me because obviously there's, there's a huge amount of racing that's all feel-based. And he just was so in touch with the machine that it's something special that a lot of people – I don't think like recognize. And back then that was such a bigger thing only because those cars were, I mean, they were death machines. There's not a whole lot more about it. Like if you crashed those cars back then you died. That was just sort of what it was. Like there, there was no surviving an accident unless it was a really, really small accident. So he was just extremely in touch with the machine. And I have a huge amount of respect for anyone who drove the cars back then just because they were, I mean, they were absolute beasts. It was basically a formula Ford with 500 horsepower and some bigger tires but they were vintage tires so they weren't like they had any grip and the tracks were just roads so it's some very impressive stuff so there were indeed differences between the uh the lotus models that he drove so that's some more research for you to do that should be fun other thing too which we as people often forget we look back at that era and say oh my gosh the, these are like vehicular dinosaurs compared to what we have today <laughs> Keep in mind that in the car that he won, whichever championship with, that was the peak of cutting-edge technology. Those tires yeah. you referenced, again, I'm not saying that they were awesome. Those were, 
the absolute outer space equivalent of road tire or racing tire Not technology. So, and, but then you realize there were such severe limitations with so many things. You had to have mechanical sympathy. That's another thing that Clark was renowned for that. This is a guy who did not overtax the vehicle to make his speed. This is someone who had great mechanical sympathy in an era where routine failures were the norm. So, uh, but I love the fact that you have uh, found Jimmy Clark as someone who you love. And like I said, you get a chance, go spend some time with Dario. He will fall in love with you. First of all, he has bought seemingly every piece of Clark memorabilia on the planet, which he has um, in Scotland. And yeah, you're going to have a lifelong friend there. If you go catch up with our boy, Mr. Frank Keaty, let's talk about uh, one or two other things, Josh, before we let you go intelligence. So while it's a, a feature that I've aspired to have in my life, I've struggled there at times. You, on the other hand, um, the, the college university places that say, Hey, you're smart. Uh, we would like you to come here and be smarter. You're one of those guys. Tell us about being accepted to the Purdue school of engineering and technology and where that fits in your life goals. We know that Jerry Hildebrand, right, Indy Lights champion, uh, longtime IndyCar driver, we know that he was accepted to MIT, chose deferment because his IndyCar, his racing career was really popping off. Where does this formative stage for you on the road to Indy fit with your scholastic endeavors? So that was exactly what I did. Uh, I deferred this year after getting in, and um, I've, like, so my mindset after sort of getting into the race paddock and everything, like just, just being around racing is like, no matter what, I want this in my life for my entire life. And I want to have a career in it. And if that means being an engine, obviously like the goal will always forever to be a race car driver. But if that means being an engineer, if it means being a driver coach or literally anything, being in the paddock is my goal for my entire life. And I want to be able to, to, to realize that goal. So going to school for engineering and specifically motorsports engineering um, is awesome. And it's right in Indy. We're right near the speedway. I get to sort of like be around all the people, all the teams um, and be around the atmosphere all the time. And I mean, it's just like, it's in the perfect spot. It's all of the things that I want to learn. It's a lot of the stuff that I've sort of been learning throughout the time period with, with all the teams that you're with, whenever you're doing data and stuff like that, you get to sort of get a, a, a very blanket understanding of a lot of physics and stuff like that to go into it. And honestly, I had a lot of fun in high school going through physics, which might sound weird as a kid liking school because I definitely didn't like school, but I liked physics a lot. I don't know what about it, but I absolutely loved physics. Um, and yeah, and it's sort of like immediately once I heard that that motorsport technology or motorsport engineering uh, major exists, I was like, yeah, of course I'd apply to that. If I'm applying to college, that's what I'm going to do. So I did, and I was lucky enough to get in, and I deferred a year just so I sort of could full focus on this season, which ended up, it's almost going to be next season now because I, like, the deferment school is going to start right near the last race of the next season, so it'll almost be like a two-season thing, which is cool, Um, and yeah, I mean, it's going to be a super awesome experience no matter what. We went and toured, I got to meet a whole bunch of people. Um, they have all their little race teams that you could sort of apply to be a part of and they have their cart team as well. So I'm, ex- I'm excited to be, to be able to go and become a part of the community and meet a bunch of like-minded individuals. I think it'll be a lot of fun. So working the Josh green is not a linear personality angle, which I love linear personalities <laughs> are, in my opinion, the worst. You also like getting your hands dirty, working on cars and that's, it just makes my heart sing, Josh. That's yet another thing that isn't necessarily stereotypical these days uh, when we're talking young race car drivers. It's not uncommon for um young boy, young girl to be working on their go-kart. Um, but again, doing things kind of mechanically and racing a little bit, not uncommon, but you like actually popping the hood. And getting your busting a few knuckles and getting your hands really dirty. Tell me about that, because that's it. Just I don't know, man. I love it, but I don't know if everyone would expect to hear that from someone who's focused on 
university and winning the Indy 500? I mean, I feel like anyone who's into cars to sort of the extent that I am, which are a lot of the people who are in the paddock, given they had the time, would have a lot of fun doing it because it is a lot of fun getting to learn the in and outs of your car. And so um, I was lucky enough to sort of have been working for a lot of my youth and had enough money to buy a 370Z. So I bought a 2012 370Z and that has sort of become my vehicular representation of myself. Um, and I've done all the work on it myself. So I, I've, I've basically done the full exhaust intakes, um, all the suspension components. So that's, I mean, not all of them obviously, but so that's, that's, uh, all the struts, springs, sway bars and, um, camber arms. And then I did wheels, which is not the most exciting of things, but I've also done suspension on another 370Z, uh, a Subaru or a WRX. And like, I, I've done a bunch of little jobs and I've sort of, sort of slowly learned more. And I've had a lot of people who have been super supportive and I met a lot of really cool friends through it. it for example, the only other person who owns a 370Z near my town, um, who happened to be a mechanic and worked at a shop. And then I sort of picked up a whole bunch of stuff from him. And like, it's really awesome to be able to confidently like pick my car up, put it on jacks and go to work on it and be a hundred percent. in that like, I know what I'm doing and can go complete a job. Uh, and recently, we just bought, me and my friend, we were up in Vermont. Well, this isn't recently. This is a couple months ago. We were up in Vermont. Um, and we went by, like, just a mechanic shop. And there were a bunch of cars sat outside. And there was this uh, first-generation Audi TT sitting there. When um, I was like, oh, that could be cool. You just, like, grab it, drive it home, and flip it. Like, it, it, if it runs and drives, it would be a really cool, easy thing to flip. Um, they offered us $150. So we immediately went to the nearest gas station. I took up a took out $160 in 20s and I bought out <laughs> this Mark 1 Audi TT, drove it five hours home from Vermont with no brakes and only a handbrake. Um, and yeah, and that's been our sort of little project. It's been a lot of fun. It was a lot of detailing and cleaning and then we did the entire brake system. Um, so calipers, rotors, pads, and um, fluid obviously because they had to bleed everything with calipers and and yeah, it's been a it's been a really cool project, and we're just sort of trying to flip it. But Facebook Marketplace has not been our friend recently, and oddly enough, there aren't um, a massive amount of people who are leaping and jumping at a 2000 Audi TT with 124,000 miles on it. But it is quite a cool little car, and it's quite fun. So it's in good shape. The only thing that disappoints me in mentioning your Nissan 370, I didn't hear anything about installing glowing neon lights beneath it. It seems like that's the only <laughs> thing it's missing right now. Or maybe not. Huh. Well, maybe we not. could. Uh, it could happen. Okay. All right. Hashtag life goals, squad goals. All right. Uh, I like where <laughs> we're going here, Josh. Kidding aside, man. Really happy to have you on the road to Indy for things to be going well. Obviously, lots of stuff still to finish for you this year in the current season. Not sure if you're thinking to uh, return and try and go after the title next year or what those exact plans are, but look forward to following you and your career uh, as you hopefully continue moving up the road to Indy. And like I said, go find Dario. You're going to have a great new friend and probably a really good mentor too. Um, and thanks again for uh, playing with the uh, Cooper Tires hashtag program, winning that. And this isn't a prize talking to me sure as hell isn't a surprise, but uh, really <laughs> glad that we had a moment to get you on the show and tell folks a little bit more about you. Thank you. It was it was a prize to me, and it was a it was a really fun experience. So thank you for the interview. And if possible, I will definitely try and have a conversation with Dario Fankiti. Where can folks find you on the good old book faces or the tweeters or the Instagrams? Tell folks where they can find you, follow you, stay on top of all your developments. Uh, Josh goes racing on Twitter and Instagram. Josh Green Racing on Facebook, and I have my website joshgreenracing.com. So it's as if there's a bit of a rigged deal here with the Cooper Tires hashtag program related to its mighty fine Road to Indy program. The first one had a Fat Boy Racing driver. Now we've got yet another Fat Boy Racing presence. Also, someone who can say he has won stuff as a driver on the Road to Indy. Um... I don't know. Did you guys game the system and is every uh, prize drawing just going to automatically include Fat Boy Racing somehow, Brendan Peterbach? 
Uh, yeah, I would say it absolutely is going to uh, include just because I'm that good at social media. Uh, <laughs> my previous career was as an IT consultant, so I'm pretty good at figuring out the way systems work. Uh, so yeah, you could say I've definitely been gaming the system. So uh, you are actually really lucky because I did win the most recent Cooper Tires Challenge. And one of the options was a third interview, but we figured we didn't want you to have to kill yourself by interviewing us three times. So I actually chose the, the symmetric uh, prize. Wow. A, thank you. I don't want to have <laughs> to write the press release of my own retirement due to you. So there's that side. And for the IT consultant part, was this like, priming businesses for the best you know scuzzy drive to buy or what are we talking zip drive specialist i'm curious where the expertise lands pretty much i was actually a website developer for a long time uh wrote custom software sunseeker yachts you may have seen them around yes uh, they, they were one of my clients for years. I actually wrote the software that if you will have, say you were looking to buy like a 150-foot yacht uh, and you needed to configure your options, I actually wrote the software that, that allowed you to do that. And it was in use for, God, through the early 2000s. So, um, but yeah, racing was always just kind of a hobby for me. And I was an IT consultant and that's sort of what I did for years. How did your professional career arc pre-racing education, uh, application of what these skills that you had amassed. Um, Hey, guess you want to know how important you are. I'm declining a call from Sebastian Bourdais to continue our interview. Huh? I tell you what, you know, quite frankly, if you want to conference him in, I'm totally cool with that. That's, <laughs> that's completely fine with me. Um, uh, yeah, that guy's old washed up the hell with them. Um, hey, 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 easy on the old and washed up. That's what we specialize in in fat boy racing. Okay. Look, I'm older than the two of you, so I don't want to hear it, but, and I am washed up. Well, so you're looking well for your age. Oh, no, I don't. I mean, but the lies are appreciated. How did uh, this, come on. it's racing. We're all very good at coming up with good lines of BS. So, you know, happy to throw it out there for you. Yeah, that's true. The, uh, I'm on the inverted pole, which is a kind way of saying just, turn the timesheet upside down and then see them on top of everybody. That was one of my go-tos back when I was a formula four driver. So, uh, there That's is that, good. but tell me about education, Brendan, from a using it, seeking it, and then using it in non-racing employment. I'm, I'm a pretty strong believer that even if it has nothing to do with what we do in motor racing, the things that mm. folks pursue and learn to do at a decent level, that lead us to racing, they tend to yeah, fil from, filter or shape what we do here in the sport. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's basically for me, my education is, is bizarre and varied, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> I went to boarding school, uh, I was a private school kid, you know, standard, standard racing stuff. Um, and I actually went to Kent for boarding school, which is in, uh, northwestern Connecticut, uh, basically on the other side from Lime Rock Park. So through mm -hmm. my first year of boarding school, I would hear every Tuesday uh, GT1 cars blasting around the Berkshires making a lot of noise, and it was just kind of gave me the calling, I guess, to, to want to go racing. Um, so from there, just kind of went to, you know, break. I wound up in a public high school, did all that, and played with, like, RC cars, kind of a dorky kid, computer stuff. Uh, and then college, went to a couple of different colleges, didn't graduate, uh, but just kind of learned a lot. It was an art school actually. So, so what? Kind of, yeah, boarding art school, school to arts. So first of all, you were a terrible child and your parents wanted to get rid of you. So we've exactly, established, which is racing was perfect for that. They're like, go join that circus, please. Don't, don't, don't leave. Go away. You don't need seat belts either, son. Just, uh, go ahead. Go as, yeah, it sounds like they're trying to get rid of you. We're, they actually bought me dirt bikes and ATVs as a little kid. So they've been trying to get rid of me since I was a little kid. <laughs> I know it isn't exactly what you put on your Christmas list, but we put a boa constrictor in your uh, your Christmas <laughs> stocking, um, and they are just known to keep your neck warm, uh, dear son. So <laughs> they're they're snuggly, man. They're snuggly. Come oh on. Lord! So the art school. I mean, again, this yep. is why I love these conversations. We have no idea where they're going. Tell how did that happen? Was that in re that was that in reaction to something that you didn't I, like? One hundred percent. Exactly. I was. I, I basically I taught myself how to computer program when I was about you know, 12, 13, um, and was just always involved with that as, as, as a young kid, it was just, I was a computer dork. Um, 
And I kind of knew I would probably end up in that as a career. So I was like, you know, I'm in college. I'm going to be doing this. I started out as a computer science major. I got in a screaming match with who turned out to be a professor who was the chair of the department. Sort of realized like, oh, my God, I pissed off the chair of the department. And there is no way I'm ever going to do well here. So let's do something different. And I figured, you know, let's go as far different from computer program as I could. And I was like, I'm just going to go study art and design. Um, and kind of just wound up in an art and design program and was doing metal sculpting. And it sort of gave me a start into, I really like welding and machining and doing stuff like that around the shop just because it's so different and hands-on compared to really more abstract programming kind of stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> this all naturally leads to becoming a race car driver. Um, <laughs> where does the... I mean, you're still a youngish man, but where does the racing sounds like fun? Obviously you saw and experienced it growing up, but where does the, it would be fun to do and try just as uh, I might do on a lark with going and playing tennis this weekend or volleyball or whatever, where does the racing interests me? But I don't know if it's just going to be a fun weekend thing to try versus maybe I need to actually give this a more serious push and see if I can go do some pro-ish training level stuff to see where I end up. Where do those things intersect? For for us, the biggest thing that that I I was a club racer, you're a club racer too, started in Formula Ford. And it was just, I always enjoyed the competition. It went from playing with, you know, slot cars and RC cars as a kid. It was just, you know, off-road doing, doing the, you know, the, the dirt bikes and the four-wheelers. It just kind of progressed into, you know, formula cars. And then from there, it was, I loved club racing. It's such a great atmosphere. Um, sorry, I was actually declining a call from my engineer there. Sorry about that. Uh, everyone should know we're on the Marshall Pruitt podcast. Come on, guys. Oh, good uh, Lord. <laughs> So, you know, it just kind of progressed from club racing to higher level club racing, going regional, some nationals, which is not like a super tour. Um, and then kind of got a taste of actual pro racing when back in the day, God, I think this was 2006, uh, USF cars. I, they had a, it was called the, the, the gold cup, which is for the old Pinto powered cars. And I got to show up at a champ car race and I'm like, whoa, 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 this is the real deal. This is what I dreamed about, like, you know, like what real racing is about and kind of got hooked. Once you're like at the big show, it's just, yeah, it's kind of hard to go back to do club racing and still love the driving and it's fun. But like, I like being part of the circus. Same for Charles, like, you know, got to be part of it. You know, guys like, I don't know, Marshall Pruitt are there hanging out. Oh, Jesus. Don't even just stop. (laughs) Just, just stop. But this, it's a fun recognition though. And as a kid who grew up at the racetrack, whose introduction, well, introduction to things was by and large on the club racing level. It's really fun. It's really interesting. You learn a lot, et cetera, et cetera. But then when you're the support race for name the big series and you get to see this sport that you love, but recast, not in a, hey, this is like me and my neighbors. Instead of going camping, we're all here playing race car at our local circuit. Having it recast in a professional light. And even if you're at the, all right, so your qualifying session is at 5 a.m. And your race is 10 p.m. two days after the main race is over. Even if you get the worst slots, being there and seeing this sport you love and have known as an amateur recast in a professional light that, that can be a pretty powerful thing the the first time second time third time so i love brendan the fact that you felt that How and it caused a reaction years, 10 years later i'm still doing this stuff putting up with finale i'm sorry you had to put up with <laughs> your 15 minute phone call but like it's just you know it's it's I, I even think that the lower levels of some of the semi-pro series they need to at least stay on one big pro race a year um you know, there's a lot that that does for it. it. It it keeps you, you know, interested. Like, oh my God, I can be part of this. This is a thing that I didn't think was ever going to be possible to be part of actual real professional racing. You know, like at the big show. You know, and that keeps you, for me anyway, at the when I was still club racing and doing one big pro race a year. 
it just kept me, kept me motivated to be like, hey, yeah, I can do this. We can be part of this environment and, I don't know, do whatever we do, have fun, help it grow, be part of, you know, whatever. You know, and that, I think that's absolutely key. Plus, the other thing is, you know, you, you learn and it even helps your club racing program because you meet other people that are doing it better than you are. Um, for me, working with some of the guys I've worked with have been scary smart and are so good at what they do that it's kind of forced me to learn more from them. And that's that's absolutely invaluable. So, you know, another another thing that I would love to learn a little bit more about Brendan is, you know, we're jo- joking and being our, our normal selves here, which is lighthearted. That is how Fat Boy Racing is framed uh, as a team that obviously is serious about their racing, but is also, you know, one that wants to make sure that fun is had, which is why it was formed. What are the conversations like when you are speaking with the parents of young driver X or a sponsor that might want to support a young talented driver where there are probably rivals in the paddock who you could say, boy, multiple championships. It's, you know, Penske junior it's Andretti junior. It looks like a miniature replica of a front running IndyCar team in the way everyone looks and talks, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not saying you guys have blow up dolls uh, under the paddock at every weekend, but no, no, we, we, we have had the occasional blow up doll, uh, Chris Wright. I think he's racing NASCAR or something or other. We gave him a blow up doll for, for his birthday a couple of years ago. We do have our bouncy castle. Um, you, you gotta have fun doing this. The amount of work, and, and effort and time that you're going to put in is so ridiculously over the top um, that you have to have passion. You have to have fun doing it. If you're not having fun doing it, it's it's hard to stay motivated doing this, especially because you, you know you're not getting rich doing this. So, so how do you frame um, those conversations with young drivers, their parents, and any potential sponsors that what you have to offer is real and we can we're a talented, skilled team that can help your – young whomever advanced to higher rungs and who knows. Um, but with also maintaining uh, the personality and fun within the team, I'm guessing it could be off putting to some, but maybe others are attracted to it. What are those conversations like? I, 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 am not really sure. We ran a customer program uh, last season and quite frankly, I didn't really enjoy doing it that much. Okay. I'm not really sure I would run a customer program again because it kind of turned it from something I really enjoy and have a passion about to something that was just about making money and, and having to, you know, and it's, we, we put a competent car together. I enjoy building a good race car, making sure it's built correctly and it operates. And it's, we give Charles the best tool that he can have. But once it becomes about more running a customer program, I'm not really sure I'd want to do that again. Um, so yeah, conversation with young drivers, I'm probably not going to have them. Um, it's not really where I'm looking to go. Um, quite frankly, I'm a driver. The only reason I started running a team was so I could kind of maintain my own driving. Um, and that's sort of, you know, that's, I, I kind of want to try and get myself back behind the wheel driving something. Uh, don't know if it'll be RTI. I love RTI, but I, you know, I couldn't do what Charles is doing. Um, he is, out of his freaking mind. Um, the amount of effort he puts in knowing that he's that handicapped versus the kids because they're that good. It's, you know, for me, I kind of, you know, it, it would, it would, it would wear thin after a while. So, but as, as for sponsors, I mean, the biggest thing for that is I like to think that we're accessible and fun and, and, you know, it's available, you know, whereas we're not necessarily putting up, the front of a junior Penske. I don't want to be, you know, a junior Penske team. Nothing against Roger Penske. The man is incredibly talented and has won more than anything, but that's just not our shtick. You know, it's, it's, you know, but, but, you know, we can be there. We can support sponsors. Obviously I'm pretty good at social media. So, you know, so yeah, I, I want to work with people who want to work with me and kind of get our shtick and kind of want to just keep pushing, you know, having fun and being there and just go on an adventure pretty much. Well, so. you d- you know, you did help groom uh, Andretti Autosport with uh, a sponsor that came through the team. So, you know, clearly <laughs> some th- clearly something's working. And I know you got a huge commission off of that. I'm sure uh, you just you, you had to tell them. You sent a cease and desist on sending you checks and thank you letters. So I know it's just it's just the money is just so I didn't know what to do with it. I mean, if you need, I have a couple of you know suitcases full of cash. I'm willing to send that to any struggling journalists. I know things are tough these days. <laughs> um, yeah, so so Sergier, they were you know they definitely did work with us. It was pretty wild. 
to see a sponsor that 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 they were they were involved a little bit. They just got their toe in the water on this. Um, and I kind of want to just see, uh, the CEO, Bill Wappler, he's a friend of mine. And I just kind of wanted to help him make sure he was headed in the right place and was able to get good return and value for whatever he was doing in motorsports. Um, and he wound up with Andretti. I mean, it's obviously it's Mario. I mean, the, the names don't get any bigger than that in IndyCar. So we kind of helped make sure they were, you know, taken care of and getting good value and good exposure. And, but it was pretty wild to be like, yo, the sponsor that's on our car is also on an Andretti's car. This is strange. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking so. of strange, why don't we close on this aspect? So good Northeastern U.S representation here new york sensibilities and whatnot and yet you look to canada for some additional social media help photography video no, smog- no 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 david david porteous no no we, he smuggles in the poutine for us okay uh, <laughs> it's just a big cover his his documentaries, all eighteen of them that he does, all the freaking uh, all he's won some awards for uh, two eight seven down, the new one, all cover to get us poutine. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know he's never offered to bring a single bag of ketchup Frito Lay's across the border for me from Canada. So that's why I'm a little grump, a little bumpy with him right now, right? He'll hook you up with poutine. Me, my favorite chips, not available in America, only in Canada. Never even a consideration. So okay, maybe. I, I think maybe we can arrange something on that. We'll see if we can find. But yeah, yeah. So it's, but seriously, everyone who's listening, David Porteous, Porteous Media, um, he's he's done two documentaries for us. He covered our season last year, and he did our, our little adventure down the Baja 1000 last year. He did an amazing job. Um, and he actually, I think he did another documentary uh, about a struggling journalist, some guy, I don't know, he's learning how to read, I think, now. Um, it's pretty incredible. Uh, a, a, uh, a, a diet challenged reporter. I, that's the only <laughs> angle I remember, uh, from that one, but <laughs> many, many kiddings aside, I wanted to close on this topic of social media and support and David, obviously, but yourself as well. Even Charles, the, of the many things I love about your team. And this is the part where I know of the seven people that are going to listen. Maybe this will resonate. Maybe you're it won't. Seven? Well, I, Dude, that's phenomenal. Look, I only got like four followers. So you are just, you're just whooping me in that one. Hashtag going for eight by 2021. Um, Hell yeah. <laughs> I think many folks, many fans associate uh, social media effort uh, quality photos and videos and those kinds of things. I think many folks associate the production or capabilities of such things with much bigger teams, uh, top of the food chain stuff, NASCAR, IndyCar, IMSA, and so on. But you guys have really, I don't want to say broken a mold, but at least defy a lot of expectations where the quality of content, the creativity involved with it, uh, there's something that even bottom rung of the road to Indy, mid-tier of the road to Indy, there's a possibility for teams and drivers to really do some unique stuff that earns attention, that makes people either smile or learn something or whatever it is. But you guys are doing something that's pretty darn impactful can you just share a bit of this again, maybe in a little bit more of a serious well, I, bend, off, but I, can you I, share I a little bit realize. here, Brendan, on just how oh. for those who have a desire, uh, you don't have to be a Penske or a, one of these big teams in a big, you know, marketing and communications department. If you have a will, there's real value that could be generated even on the, uh, the latter level. Well, thank you. First off, I didn't realize my quality, my, my content was actually quality. Um, I just, kind of tweet whatever i feel like tweeting for me i try and just be honest and and sort of document the adventure that we're on you know whatever crazy stuff getting the truck washed at 3 a.m on the way to a race i just want to be let people kind of see what we're doing out there and i i try not to be as polished because as far as i'm concerned the over polished aspect of racing is kind of it's played out we've all seen it we've done it like people want real experience and and see real drivers 
um, and, and what they really go through, you know, um, I know there's a bunch of documentaries on Netflix that, that are kind of, you know, a little more behind the scenes where it's less polished and just, just be honest about it. That's kind of the, how I approach it. Um, I know definitely I have some fails on my social media every now and again, but you know, again, I try and just be honest and humorous and that's, and just have fun with it, you know, and don't be afraid to say something crazy once in a while. Um, and, and for anything that actually does look polished and high quality production, that's all on David. He's, he does a phenomenal job. Um, he's done a bunch of great stuff and he's, he's really a talented filmmaker and that was just pure luck. He came up to us, asked if he could interview me in Toronto two years ago. And I said, yeah, of course. And he's been kind of with us ever since because everyone else was sort of like, no, we don't want to do interviews. And it's like, if there's an opportunity presented itself, take it guys for anyone else on the road to Indy. You know, we, we wound up with someone who's a key member of our team at this point, who's a phenomenally good filmmaker and fairly talented musician too, just because we chit chatted, you know, and like to have fun. So yeah. Your social media fail of trying to set up fat boys, cars with coffee with QAnon. That one was a little bit amusing to see uh, not quite pan out the way you had hoped, but you know, keep trying. Didn't work, didn't work so good. But thank you for assisting in that. You were, you were key to that effort. It was just you and me hanging out in a parking lot, waiting for Weirdo to show up, and it didn't work. But, hey, we had a lovely afternoon, Marshall. It is. The tattoos, the commemorative <laughs> tattoos we got. I never knew I'd have a tramp stamp, but, uh, look, I'm happy. Oh, come so. on. Come on. No, no, no. You know this was a cover-up of your existing tramp stamp. <laughs> it, there are a few people who love Nickelback more, but I just felt it was time. Time for a cover-up. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of cover-ups, I think we're going to be talking to you again here soon. You're going to come up with some cockamamie reason to uh, win the award and decide that uh, speaking with me is just uh, some sort of ongoing punishment. But I do appreciate the (laughs) thought, at least. So, Brendan Peterbach. Thank you for actually taking my call, uh, and and you are welcome for not making you a third one of these. But but maybe we'll work another one out. Maybe. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get Bourdais to do. You need to let my french fry take over your social media for a day it's just going to be complaints he's willing to do that i'm willing to do that but only if i can take his over oh well you'd lose the next drawing but uh we'll we'll see what we can figure out here brother thanks as always and (laughs) if if you aren't following uh, follow them tell them where to follow you where do they get this nonsense follow us on uh we're on instagram or follow fat boy we used to be following Dreddy, but we decided maybe we should be our own. Uh, so we are follow Fat Boy on Instagram, on Twitter. We're at Fat Boy Racing. We're also on on Facebook, uh, and you can go to our website at uh, FatBoyRacing.us and uh, definitely check out the two documentaries we did on on last season, which was pretty cool to see the RTI stuff. And definitely, definitely, definitely check out the Baja documentary that David did. Uh, I think it's tiny. .cc. If you go on our Instagram, the link's there. It's also all over our Twitter. Amazing documentary. Baja, I think, probably going to see me doing more off-road racing. Charles, he's doing road to Indy, but me, I think I'm hooked on uh, on off-road. I just want to acknowledge here, very thankful you chose fatboy.us, the fatboy.ru already taken so uh no options there uh there are a variety of other international destinations but i'm glad you chose us we were you know a little bit concerned where to find uh the silliness there brendan thanks so much uh for the time my friend marshall is fantastic man next race you actually make it to when covid's calmed down stop by the rig we got snacks we'll have some chips for you buddy jesus just more fat guy stuff i tell you what all right (laughs) yeah